0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air, online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films, every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Caspar. Centered on the indomitable character of Imelda Marcos, the kingmaker examines with intimate access the Marcos family's improbable return to power in the Philippines. The the film explores the disturbing legacy of the Marcos regime and chronicles Imelda's present-day push to help her son, Bongbong, Bong, win the vice presidency. To this end, Imelda confidently rewrites her family's history of corruption, replacing it with a narrative of a matriarch's extravagant love for her country. In an age when fake news manipulates elections, Imelda Marcos' comeback story serves as a cautionary tale. And with that, we're joined today by the director of The Kingmaker, uh, that would be Lauren Greenfield, who happens also to be America's foremost visual chronicler of the plutocracy, according to the New York Times. Uh, she's an Emmy Award winning filmmaker and photographer known for such films as Generation Wealth, The Queen of Versailles, and Thin. Lauren Greenfield, welcome back to Film School Radio.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much. Well, uh, let's talk about the sort of the origin story uh, behind The Kingmaker. Um, Tell us a little bit about how it may have started as something a little bit different than what it became. Um,
1: I've been, from Generation Wealth, the last 25 years, I've been looking at wealth and consumerism and materialism in different ways around the world. And so Imelda Marcos was always an iconic reference in my work. I never had the chance to meet her, though, and I read an article that said she was alive and kicking and back in Manila as a congresswoman, and in this article, it chronicled this little-known legacy of hers, which was this animal island in the South China Sea where she depopulated an island of its indigenous people and brought over more than a 100 African animals on a boat to create a kind of safari. And to me, this was kind of the ultimate extravagance and a really um, moving symbol of the abuse of wealth and power and the kind of consequences intended and unintended of, um, of power in a way. How you could just create an island like this on a whim and then generations later, both the animals and the indigenous people and everybody involved are still navigating the repercussions. And so I started as this kind of historical tale. I got access to Amelda. I got access to the island. I thought it was going to be a story of kind of how they both survived in different ways and in improbable ways. But what ended up happening was the present came rushing into the story as her son declared his candidacy for vice president And the film really turned into a look at their comeback. And I ended up following their election and seeing this kind of remarkable and terrifying rise to power of the family of a dictator that was thrown out of the country and accused of stealing 5 to $10 billion from the country and the perpetrator of terrible and historic human rights abuses.
0: Well, One of the things in the Kingmaker that just shocked me was this chronology of how they got back into the country. I assumed, wrongly, that Imelda was holed up in some penthouse in New York, or she was living in Switzerland, or something along the lines of in exile. I had no idea that they had gone back and they had reestablished themselves as a political force in the country. So this part of the film, it, I thought that was just rem- remarkable. Did you know that was happening? I
1: didn't know that until I read this article. Um, and then I also watched this incredible film by Ramona Diaz, which is a portrait of Amelda, And I was really fascinated by how this had happened, yeah. you know, how had she come back? It was like, you know, people would say things like, well, the Filipinos are very forgiving people, but that didn't really tell the whole story. Like how, it, it was almost like as though president Nixon came back and successfully became the president again. It just, yeah. it just seemed so incredible. Um, and so that was my trying to understand. And I think in the beginning, I thought, I assumed wrongly that it was kind of a a figurehead that she had kind of, you know, was given this title of congresswoman because um, out of respect and maybe people, you know, some people admired her. I don't know. I, I couldn't really figure it out. But as the film progressed, I started to see why she was loved there, but also there was a kind of follow the money story which ended up being a really important key to how she came back. But basically they stole five to ten billion dollars, only four billion of which was repatriated back to the Filipino people by the office tasked with going after the ill gotten wealth. Right. And so there was another one to six billion in nineteen eighty six dollars that had vastly appreciated that they were using to fund political campaigns. And this is a place where you can buy votes. The corruption in the elections is a kind of understood fact. And where eventually I learned they could also fund a propaganda campaign that aimed at erasing the history, casting their time in government as the golden years, and casting the martial law era, known for its human rights abuses, as a wonderful time in the Philippines. Yeah.
0: Well, how, how did you approach Imelda Marcos? How, how, how did, who do you talk to, to to introduce you to someone like that? And what was her reaction to you? As a filmmaker, I don't know if, how much research she has done on your your previous work, but what was that sort of the building, the initial uh, connection, and then the building of a relationship with her? How did that go?
1: I mean, I was introduced to her by the writer of the article um, about the Animal Island that got me interested in the first place, and he already had a relationship with her from interviewing her and all the different players about Kalaui and we collaborated together. And so William Malore's kind of relationships really brought me in to getting to know her and the family. Um,
0: Was she wary of you at all? Was she,
1: you know, she was, I mean, I think she does always have her game face. She is a politician. So she wasn't inviting me back into, you know, her bathroom after plastic (laughs) surgery, like Jackie Siegel. But, um, but she was, I think eager to tell her story enjoyed the attention of the press and the Western press. I think she was a little bit sidelined at that point in 2014. Her family wasn't back in power. The Aquino's were running the show, their political rivals, um, Noy Noy Aquino, the son of the slain leader, but Aquino was president at the time. And I think um, she, liked the attention and was eager to rebrand, you know, their history and tell me that history.
0: Before we go any further, I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Lauren Greenfield. The film is called The Kingmaker, and it is opening here in Los Angeles on November 8th at the Lemley Royal Theater in uh, Los Angeles, right there on Santa Monica Boulevard, right off the 405 freeway. Even though you, you started 2014, and, con- and thank you for staying with this story, because as it, as it unfolds, the, we see how Imelda is able to, as you said, rewrite history. There's something about her, and I'm going to sort of editorialize a little bit here, that she reminds me of Donald Trump in one regard, and there's other certainly areas where she reminds me of it. There's a certain kind of hazy way that she speaks. There's a sort of disconnect and I, I can't, I, 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 if I take the Donald Trump as, as a an example, that she is in some ways so disconnected from the real world that she's able to kind of maintain a character known as Amelda Marcos, and that's how I sort of look at Trump as playing a character who's, who, who lives in a bubble. Yes. Is, is that, is that an Imelda I think, Marcos? Yeah,
1: I... I think they do have that in common. I mean for one she's a narcissist and for two I think she believes her own story and I think in a way that's a survival mechanism because she doesn't have to take responsibility for any of the terrible ills of the regime and the and the terrible abuses of the regime. But it also allows her to have a story where she can come back to power and and believe in her own kind of goodness and philanthropic service um, to the Filipino people. She has an obsession with mothering, which I think comes from her losing her mother at an early age. And in her mind, her goal is to mother the people. I think that the mistake that has been made with her, though, is people think she's delusional or crazy or laughable. And even when I began this story, some of the people who end up being the truth-tellers in the film, Etta Rosales, May Rodriguez, survivors of martial law, they were almost laughing at her in the beginning, um, you know, saying nobody takes her seriously, she's a laughable figure. And I think that that is also similar to how people underestimated Trump. And I think Amelda, in a way, got the last laugh because even she admits in the film that sometimes women are not taken seriously. And I think that her not being taken seriously allowed her to work behind the scenes for many years, as May says at the end, before we realized that they were trying to come back to power. And I think, you know, of course, that has something in common with Trump, who people also didn't really, you know, take seriously until he became president.
0: An- another thing that connects them in my opinion, is this connection that they seem to be able to plug into with the poorest people, the most agree, in some ways, the most aggrieved people in, yeah. in society, tap into that, whatever that is. I, I mean, obviously I understand why people are angry and upset when they when they find that they are living in poverty and no hope of, you know, getting, uh, having a better life. But what why it why is that? What well, that sort of seems to be if you we can somehow figure out how to break that bond, Trump would be gone in ten minutes. And I think the same thing is probably true of Amelda Marcos, if if people if we could puncture that mythology.
1: And in this film it's both Imelda Marcos who has that connection with the poorest people and also Duterte yeah. eventually who has it too. I mean Imelda kind of speaks to that when she says she would spend so long getting ready, putting her dress on and putting her makeup on before she would go to the slums and the shanty towns because she said the poor people want a star in the dark of night. Yeah. And I think that that's what you know. I learned in terms of like people talk about the shoes or even these extravagances. But in my time with Amelda, I don't think she really... Cared that much about those things. I thought that though she liked what they gave her, which is the kind of worship of the poorest people and the kind of adulation of the Filipino people. And I mean, Andy Bautista, the the former head of the government, the 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 government commission that went after the ill gotten wealth, he says that he thinks the shoes are a distraction. That she kind of you know let people focus on the shoes. Because then, you know, as she said, they don't always take women seriously. Mm-hmm. But the irony with the Marcos is that they're stealing five to $10 billion from the country, inalterably damaged the economy and the development of the country in a way that made the poor people poorer. Mm-hmm. And that's the irony um, of the poor people um, supporting them. I think. For me that part of the explanation goes to something that Noynoy Aquino, the president who the acting president when I was making this film who's the son of the the slain opposition leader Benino Aquino from the Marcos time. He said that his dad told him that when people are hungry, you can't really have democracy, that you know democracy is kind of a luxury. When people are, are are worried about their next meal or where they're going to sleep, there's going to be corruption in the process. Yeah. I mean, in the Philippines, people pay for votes and politicians give food and T-shirts and other kinds of patronage. Yeah. You know, I think one of the tragedies that made the rise of Marcos and the rise of Duterte possible is that, in the democracies, Eda talks about this. In the, demo- the elite democracies that followed after Marcos, um, the democracies were certainly better than dictatorship, and there were, you know, certainly less human rights abuses. Um, but the 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 everyday life of the poor people did not really get better. They were very vulnerable to a strong man who said who's going to make their life better and get rid of crime and get rid of drugs right. and screw the politicians. Right.
0: I'm glad you're talking about this in the terms of the film, because I, I, I'm sorry if I got off on a little bit of a tangent with this connection between our president and Imelda, but it's, because the film really lays out this incredible history of the Philippines walking through all of these different things, and it's fascinating. It's just such a fascinating watch to understand and and I think in some ways it helps as an American to see another society that is going through, it, it gives us a distance. It gives us sort of a, an ability to be a little more objective about seeing it. Now, certainly the, the extremes in the Philippines are not the extremes we have here in the, in the United States. But I think it's a, as you say, as we say in the beginning of the, of our interview, it's a cautionary tale that you're, you're telling. So it, it does all of those things. And I, I want people to understand it is a, remarkable story it's a history lesson but it's also an incredible story of of what is possible <laughs> in the darkest sort of way in a, in a country that is desperate for for some economic opportunity for the, for so many people um in the last minute or so i have with you um are you going to continue to pursue this this uh, these last few films that you've done are about Wealth and abuse of wealth and abuse of power. Is this something that you you see as as I know it's throughout your career? But it's it's so fascinating to watch your films and to sort of see these pieces of the puzzle in the world we live in. Are, are you going to continue to do that?
1: Um, I don't know. I feel like it, maybe this is the third in this kind of trilogy, mm-hmm. and maybe you know I it, it it's cathartic. I, I could move on. I mean, in a way. All of these films, um,
0: Queen of Versailles and Generation Wealth, and this, so
1: and they are in a way related to the Trumpian age. I mean, yeah. um, there's so many parallels between David Siegel and Donald Trump. Um, Generation Wealth, in a way, Trump is kind of the apotheosis of this or the expression of this pathology that's been going on for 25 years. Yeah. And this was a look at the connection between wealth and power and um, and fake news and, and its ability to impact elections and, and, and for us to forget history. And, yeah. um, you know, maybe if, if, if we can move on uh, politically, maybe <laughs> I can
0: move on too. <laughs> well, has Amelda seen the film? Do you know of any reaction from, from her on this? We scene?
1: haven't been able to show it in the Philippines yet. We're hoping to. Um, Duterte has not been a friend of the free and independent <laughs> press. Yes. Um, and so we're not sure exactly how or when yet, but I'm sure it. And, and we, we aim to, um, for, for Filipinos in the Philippines to see the film yeah. and have access to
0: it. And that's a really strong element in the film, this sort of backdoor uh, way that the uh, Marcos family has helped support uh, Duterte and how he has. It publicly talked about repaying that debt by handing over the presidency to Bong Bong at some point. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts. This is a story that's still unfolding, and I am so thankful that The Kingmaker gives us such a great kind of a primer and a wonderful kind of living history of something that's going on as we speak. And, uh, and once again, terrific, terrific filmmaking on your part, Lauren Greenfield.
1: Thank you. thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Lauren Greenfield. The film is called The Kingmaker. It opens here in, in Los Angeles uh, Friday, November 8th at the Lemley Royal Theater in Los Angeles. They're on Santa Monica Boulevard. Come back anytime, Lauren Greenfield. i I just uh, such a fan, and uh, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Take care.